Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. But before we start, got to give a birthday shout out to Ian. Uh, his birthday was yesterday, so put in chat, happy birthday. Um, I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 82 babies. Hey. <laughs> if I made y'all some money, put happy birthday. Ian made me money, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Light up the chat for my guy, man. For sure, man. He took time out of his birthday trip. As you can see, he's obviously on vacation. Got the fly um, background. Got the pinatas in the background. <laughs> so I do that. <laughs> <laughs> We, 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 we are very appreciative to, uh, to have you with us here, Ian. We know it is your, well, yesterday was your birthday. And yeah. Saturday, you pulled up on us by surprise. It was like a sneak surprise. That was, was so fun. Oh, man. It was, wasn't yeah. it? It was a, yeah, uh, it was a blast. Welcome with open arms, man. We had our group chat Saturday. Shout out to all the earners that was in there. 10 a.m., bro. We was up 10 a.m., getting it, getting it going. And we said some things that came to fruition today. So shout out to everybody and shout out to you, man. We had no idea you were coming. But it was a dope surprise. Yeah. I saw the text. Xander was already up going crazy watching uh Daniel's tour reviews or Ryan tour reviews or whatever. I was like, let me get up and just tap in real quick. It brought me some good energy too. So yeah, I needed that. Yeah, that was that was dope, man. So yes, yes. Happy, happy belated birthday. Hope you're enjoying your time. And I appreciate um that. Yeah, we uh, know this is going to be a, a dope episode. Um, we're excited. We have a guest that's going to be joining us in a little bit, Caleb Silver um, from Investopia, and I'll talk about that later Investopi- on. Investopia. Investopedia. Investopedia. Um, and that's a site. It's so crazy how life works because when I first got into finance, that's a site that I would actually use every day when I would just have questions about, like, what is a Roth IRA or what is a, you know, uh, how much, what, what is the required minimum distribution? <laughs> it's a site that's a, a encyclopedia for investing. Like you can pretty much find answers to, to anything on that website. Yes. Um, so when we, when we met him and just developed a, a real good relationship and uh, it just was a perfect, perfect person to bring on Market Mondays um, to talk about not only the site, but to answer some questions and 
he really breaks it down. Yeah, we got um, the Schwab with us today. He's the editor, so he's <laughs> the one. That's, he's the one that's actually <laughs> actually yeah. writing a lot of these things. So, the stuff that you're reading, like I said, if you are in the investment world, you definitely need to be on that website. So, um, he'll be joining us a little later on. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll give you a quick rundown of the week for Earn Your Leisure. Uh, Usain Bolt. Ooh. We have that episode coming out tomorrow. Uh, yes, perfect timing being at the Olympics. It's the last week of the Olympics. And then as Troy says, Jamaican Independence Day is the sixth. So um, the first of our episodes that we shot in Jamaica will be airing tomorrow at eight o'clock, seven o'clock in Jamaica. Um, Usain Bolt. Once again, one of the one of the greatest athletes of all time and just a really down to earth, uh, really cool guy. So shout out to Usain. Uh, shout out to all of the business ventures that he has going on in Jamaica. Mm. And uh, make sure you check that out. So our first international episode that we shot yeah. abroad. Powerful. It was powerful, man. Like uh, most people think just track star. But when you hear the business that he has behind him and how he was able to leverage his celebrity, into sponsorship deals that, I mean, they're countless. Uh, this is one of the best athletes, one of the best businessmen from sports that we've ever seen. So shout out to Usain and shout out to Trelawney, his, his hometown. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. You want to yeah. So, oh yeah, let's, let's run down what's going on at EYL University. So all our earners and some of the people who might be joining. Uh, so obviously we got Market Mondays right now. Tuesday, tomorrow, we got the Real Estate Club at 7 p.m. Tomorrow, uh, on Wednesday at 5, we have... Uh, at 5.30, we have the Cannabis Club, and we have a treat for y'all. Jatali Bellaton will be teaching on uh, real estate investing. If you haven't been to a class with Jatali, as Shadi would say, you're doing yourself a tremendous yeah, disservice. She is absolutely amazing. She's powerful. She's super powerful. Uh, Thursday, we got the Military Earners Third Quarter Meetup. Uh, so they're talking about disability benefits at 6 p.m. And then Friday, uh, our crypto club, right? That Shout out to our boy Alistair, who was in the group chat with us as well. Earners on the chain. Yo, earners on the chain. Shout out to them. Uh, and then Sunday, we got the book club. Uh, G is going to be heading it up, killing uh, uh, Sacred Crows. Part three of the book club. So shout out to everybody that's in the book club. That's a, that's just like therapeutic Sunday, right? If my Sundays go like this. If, if you if you start with us, then you listen to Inner Wealth in the morning, and then right midday you hit the book club. I can't see how you don't have a perfect Sunday. So yeah, shout out to everybody. Good day. Yeah, that's yeah. a solid day. So shout out to all the earners and everybody that's uh, tuned in with that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, you want to do this? Yeah, man. So let's do our disclaimer. All right. Do your own research. Well. Absolutely do your own research, first and foremost. Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It is very important to do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently verify and research any information that you find on our show and wish to rely upon, whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise. This message is brought to you by the good folks at Earn Your Leisure and the good brother, Ian Dunlop, the master divester, a.k.a. Two Stock Shakur, a.k.a. Great Over. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, and as always, as always, this this episode of Market with Mondays is brought to you by Ally Financial. Ally is an option if you're looking to bank or invest. Ally Financial is a leading digital financial service company with passionate customer service and innovative financial solutions. They are relentlessly focused on doing it right and being a trusted financial service provider to both customers and communities. Get with Ally to make the most of your money so you can save, invest, and spend on the things that matter to you. Shout out to the family over at Ally. All right, let's get Nothing into dearly. it. Ian, the floor is yours. 
I don't have much to say. I do want to share. Uh, well, I want to tell everybody, thank you for all the birthday love you give me. You guys are tremendous. You made uh, my day incredible. And, and thank you for giving me a community to be able to talk to, you know, us about investing. Um, the stock club deal is going on, so the guys can put the, that link in chat. So last one of the year won't be a Christmas deal. So if you want to join us, please do so. If I've made you money, put Ian made me money in chat. Hold on. Give me a, give me a second to type, bro. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, it's in YouTube. You can go. You go in. We give me, yeah. give me money. It's pinned. The stock club link is pinned in 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 the YouTube. Yeah, and you guys can join us. Um, but the only thing I really want to share tonight, because I want our esteemed guests to come on. Um, I'm gonna give you guys a super tip. So write this down. I talked about this Saturday. I won't say it again. Um, the one the companies that you invest in long term should also be the ones that you day trade. Should also be the ones that you swing trade and should also be the ones that you do options on. So you can't study 10 long-term companies, 10 swing trades, 10 different companies for options. Well, I'm going to scalp this one. The people who tell you to do that are broke and have you broke. I'm going to be real. Like everybody today, yo, I've seen a whole bunch of people who was like anti-Square three months ago. Now it's like, yo, Square would have to be. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're not doing no jacking this year. Square is <laughs> the new JP Morgan. I've been saying it. I've been declaring it. But if you want a solid foundation, if you don't, because you can only know everything about maybe seven stocks in total. If you know those like the back of your hand, you will know how to swing them properly. Swing trading is holding a trade anywhere from one to 90 days. Oh, oh wow. They cut them. Yo, they, they, got, they got them with they the, got them looking. the Musa. <laughs> They, they got, got them, them with the Wusau pose. They got them crazy. Damn. Out in these third world countries, Wi-Fi at your own hazard. We will let Ian get his Wi-Fi uh, to get. Oh, you back. You back. Yeah, I'm back. All right. They, they <laughs> caught you on the Wusau, my guy. They froze you. <laughs> yeah, froze. you know. But two tech, two index, that's all you need. You're good. And just invest in the same ones, trade the same ones, and go long-term the same ones, and you'll be fine. That's it. And here's the last thing I'll say. I want you guys to be rich. A lot of people that are talking to you about investing because investing is a new hustle because the other stuff didn't work for them. I'm going to say it. Just follow what I tell you to do. You would be sure. <laughs> like, so many of y'all lost money going to listen. To, I don't like Ian Trevor Rashad. And they think they know that account terrible. Your account, I'm just being real. Like, let me love you. Like, let, allow me to love you and help me help you. Just quit listening to the pozos, man. We're here to love you, so that's it. Love y'all. There you, there you have it, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. So we will, we will bring on our esteemed guest. Are you ready? Yeah, he's here. He's here. Yeah, we can bring him in. Let's do it. Let's bring him in. Let's do it. Yeah, we gotta talk about AMD. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah. Ian, while he's coming on, can, you want to talk about uh, the, well, we obviously, everybody probably saw today what, what Square did uh, in acquiring uh, Afterpay. Oh, there's, there's my guy. The legend himself. Oh, Caleb, we'll, we'll get to that later, Ian. What's going on? My guy's here. What's going on? I'll go, I'll go there with you. It's so good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah, for being here. No, no problem. Caleb Silver, uh, editor-in-chief at Investopedia. And as I said, uh, it's, it's really crazy that we have you on because... You know, anybody that watches Market Mondays, you know, I, I was a financial advisor for over 12 years. And especially when I first started, but even during, like, I never really stopped using the website because I would always have questions 
about um, like the 60 day rollover rule or like how much money you can put into a Roth IRA or um, the five year rule for 529 plans. And um, instead of like just putting it on Google and searching all these different websites, I would just go to Investopedia and um, all the answers are right there. Like it's literally the encyclopedia for investing anything yeah. that you you want to know um so i was using the website before before we had the relationship so yeah. uh it's an honor to have you thank yeah, you for joining absolutely. us we appreciate it yeah I, I told you too man on a personal note it was like i'm coming from an education background so everything in finance was like uh i gotta research i gotta research and the number one place like you said before we even had a relationship was you like every time i had to find an answer i was going to your site before i even knew that you were involved with it um and when, we, when you were gracious enough to invite us to your show um i'm like wait that's you're you're the chief person over there like this is yours <laughs> like hold on i think i owe you a, a bit more gratitude so thank you in advance and and, and we want to give you a public thank you for everything that you do for the community I, I appreciate it. really the honor is mine. And, um, you know, this is a website that's been around for a long time. We'll get into that in a minute, but I just want to say, I'm just so grateful to join you guys. When I found out what you were doing, I think I connected through Josh Brown, a mutual friend of ours. I said, these guys are birds of a feather. We're all about financial literacy. We're all about financial education, investing education, giving people the tools to learn how to do it so they can build a lifetime of investing and growing their wealth. That's what you guys are all about. I've Really, it's a super honor for me, and I'm just I'm delighted to be here and representing Investopedia. So thank you. No, no problem, no problem. So let's get into it. I mean, we're gonna talk about the square situation. So yeah. you want to want to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, so if you were sleeping under a rock today, uh, Square or last night, Square uh, acquired Afterpay uh, for twenty nine billion dollars, uh, which is interesting because from a financial company like Square or a FinTech company like Square to have an Afterpay component to it, it changes the game can tremendously. You, can, can you explain what Afterpay is to people? Who you, you yeah. guys want to go? Yeah, go ahead, Caleb. Sure, I'll, go, I'll take it yeah. and, and then Ian can take it and ha happy birthday to you, Ian. Thank it's you so much. Buy now, pay later. So it's basically right. layaway, you know, in the digital world. And it makes a ton of sense if you're a payments processor like Square, thinking about what they do on the front end and on the back end, you want to have that back end component so people can lay away. And we're going to see more and more of that as we get deeper and deeper into e-commerce. But Square has really circled the entire ring in terms of being the payment processor of the future. A few others have done that as well. If you've been watching this space as closely as I know you guys watch it, Square's really got it covered. They got it covered into crypto. They got it covered now in the, in the buy now, pay later world. They got it covered in the front end when you walk into basically any store, you're using their device. Pretty smart company was way ahead of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this reminds me a lot of maybe 2010 to 2011 in social media. I think Afterpay will be one of the biggest deals of this decade. Like the integration that they're going to have, customers already love it, business. I mean, if you guys go back 20 years, fortunately, we're old enough to remember when payment processes were almost like scam artists. Uh, Square has made it so easy for everyone to be able to transact. This is a the steal of a lifetime. And, and once again, I think Square would be like the, the JP Morgan of this era. Yeah, a wise man once said that. And it also has helped the space, right? We watched a firm go up 10% today. Another one of those pay now, uh, buy now, pay later, or pay over time companies. And so it was interesting what one move can do for the rest of the, the fintech space. It's interesting that you say social media because, yeah, Square, it does 
it's following like Facebook's um, blueprint where like Facebook brought Instagram and then they, mm-hmm. they brought uh, WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. Um, so now of course cash app and now Afterpay. Um, so square is positioning itself as Ian would say uh, to be the next JP Morgan of the digital world. Mm-hmm. Um, the next hundred years, the, the, fintech company of the future so yeah this is something how do you think that traditional i'll ask both of you guys how do you think that traditional banks are going to you know adapt to this because square is making a lot of moves in the digital space and um it's interesting to see like you know chase or you know bank of america you know how they're going to actually be a little bit more nimble on their feet I think they're just going to buy their way into it. You know, these banks are flush with cash. Um, a lot of them had seen some 52-week highs or record stock prices just in the past few months as financials have really rallied. Everybody's got a ton of money, a ton of venture capital. So they're going to buy their way into it versus build their way into it. Building takes forever. And if you've seen even just the last couple of years with the, the free trading, uh, you know, Robinhood kicked off and then all of them got into that. Um, they bought their way into it. So the Morgan Stanley's bought their way in through E-Trade, the Schwab and the TDA. So you're going to see big banks just acquire some of these other uh, payment apps and some of these DeFi uh, companies just so they can build that little galaxy around themselves. I'm glad you brought up the Facebook um, analogy because remember when Facebook bought Instagram, the price tag seemed really high at the time uh, and and the same with WhatsApp and everyone was like, oh, that seems high. That seems like a joke right now. And I think they're going to say the same thing about Square and this purchase here because in a few years, it's going to be like, that's the only way this is done. And whatever they paid in that transaction, it wasn't as big as the $26 billion. It was, you know, a, a few billion uh, plus the, the the assumption of some debt. It's going to look like a, the absolute steal of the year. Yeah. And it wasn't a, a cash acquisition. It was more, I think, all stock, correct? Right. Yeah. So it's easier for them to do their stock super inflated right now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Caleb, you brought you brought up a, a company. You said Robinhood. And I, I'll, I'll take uh, your thoughts and Ian, your thoughts as well. So Robinhood IPO uh, last week and an interesting thing came out. The statistic, uh, I think one percent of the people who have active accounts on Robinhood actually bought into the IPO when it debuted. One percent, which is pretty alarming if people have been using it and don't believe in the company. What's your thoughts on that? You want to go first? Caleb, Ian? Yeah, yeah, Caleb, take it first. Okay, my thoughts on that is those customers had a 30-day lockup on that trade. So you couldn't sell your shares until the stock had been trading for 30 days. And my my perspective is that I think a lot of Robinhood's customers don't get down like that. They don't want to be told how long to hold a stock or when they could buy or sell a stock. We saw how upset they got when GameStop was halted, when uh, AMC was halted back earlier this year. So they don't like to be told what to do. But also, when you look inside the Robinhood accounts, and I admire what that company has built and the fact that they've grown so fast and they do provide a very useful service. At the same time, they have a lot of accounts that have a thousand bucks in them that don't trade at all. So they got like that gym membership issue where a third of the gym memberships out there are barely ever touched. You know how that is. People buy your courses. Sometimes, you know, they don't open them. People just don't open the things that they pay for. And they open Robinhood accounts thinking they're going to go all in, but actually don't. So maybe they don't have the conviction of real traders who want to believe or not believe in that company going forward. Yeah. And on top of that, there are some pretty savvy people that use Robinhood. So a lot of them are waiting 60, 120 days to look to buy in. I think that could be one factor as well. But also, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think Ben Carlson said that like 47% of the users 
open the app daily. I think that's a more way more important metric than how many bought into the IPO. But um, I don't traditionally like brokerages, but I think they could be a huge disruptor in the space. And I think the stock may end up actually doing pretty damn well. Like once they pay the fines, and if you think about it, if you walk in, mind share is always a key measurement for me. If you walk up to 10 people and ask them, hey, I got a tip on the stock, where can I buy it? Seven out of 10 is going to say Robinhood. And yeah. despite all the work E-Trade, TD Ameritrade has put in, Schwab over these last 30, 40, 50 years, the, the amount of buying share that they've acquired over the last two or three years has been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting. I, I wasn't even mad at it, right? Because when I saw the 1%, I'm like, wait, maybe they're paying attention. Because we've been stressing when something IPOs, give it maybe six months to settle, time. let the price settle. And so when I saw the 1%, I'm like, all right, interesting. But also in the same sense, it was like Robinhood, we know. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. People, there's, there's a Robin Hood community and they want to push the stock. I was like, hey, let's see if they try to push this thing and let it run up. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm on the fence with it. I, I think it's, a, it's an interesting, it's a fascinating um, uh, company um, from that position. I Absolutely. And I think it's going to be around for a long time. Sorry to interrupt real quick. The The other thing is that, um, you know, they're, they're backed with a ton of venture capital. Don't forget Facebook, when it went public, it took a while for it to get above its IPO price. Yeah, Look at it now, yeah. right? Uber, a company everybody knows, and a lot of people use pretty darn frequently. I don't know if that stock's ever retraded above its IPO price. So this happens. It takes a while for companies to gain that public trust and traction. So you might be onto something with that and, and we'll have to see. We got to talk about a company that we spoke about uh, on the group chat, uh, AMD. AMD was a company that a lot of people um, got frustrated with because we were talking about AMD on Market Mondays for over a year, and uh, it was moving sideways for about eight months. It wasn't doing anything. Um, and, you know, people have short uh, patience, no patience, and a lot of people no sold their, their positions. So I was in an AMD option call. I spoke about this a few times. And... Um, it went down and uh, I put a substantial amount of money in that option call. And then I actually dollar cost 
down and put more money in when it went down. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was down 40% on that option call. Today, I'm up 73% on that option call. Um, so talk heavy to him. Man. Patience is extremely important, <laughs> but um, I feel like uh, AMD it was just a matter of time before before it exploded, and we talked about this with the consolidation phase. So, you know, computer chips are we're extremely bullish on it. SMH, um, one of my favorite ETFs, made a lot of money with SMH. So, what do you what are you guys' opinion? on uh amd because literally it's just like it's just on a run right now the last four days it's just like just took off to the upside so how do you feel about amd i think the biggest mistake that people make with a great stock is being impatient and getting out of it too early like i've been at amd since 2014. if you're a gamer you already know how valuable amd is like at one point it was at a dollar 61. now it's at a hundred and eight dollars and 63 cent um, historically, and I'll, Caleb, I'll love for you to chime in, but the historically, the greatest length of time to hold a stock is a 20-year period. Especially if you're holding S&P 500, there's like a 0% chance that from the point in which you bought, it would go to zero. With tech, it's like 11.3 years. But once you have a winner, please hold on to it forever. Like we see it now, like the Lakers are going to run LeBron into the ground and probably <laughs> sign him until he's 45. But from a management or portfolio management or player management strategy, it's a great thing to do. Um, I just feel bad for the people who got out too prematurely. But don't feel bad. We've all done it. We all have sold positions too early. But AMD, NVIDIA, Square, Apple, Microsoft, Intuitive Surgical, those are some of the ones like you you should hold for a long period of time, like 10, 20-year periods. That's why I would say that a five-year period is the shortest time that you, you should hold any stock. Yeah, the way I look at all of the chip stocks is chips, and I borrow this from a, from a friend, maybe even Josh put it out there first, or, or our buddy JC, <clears throat> semiconductors, microchips are the new transports, right? Mm. Used to be railroads, used to be you know cargo lines. Yeah, we still have those, but really what what is traveling these days? What is moving across lines? Information, IP, right? All moving across uh, you know, uh, fiber optic cables and computer servers and server farms that are all connected through chips. So whether it's for gaming, whether it's for just processing at the enterprise level, whether it's for your phone or your car, you know, we're going to need these things and they're not going away. Look at the automakers. They can't make enough cars because they don't have enough chips. So we got a supply problem there. And these companies have nothing but the capacity to make a lot of supply at a great profit margin. And I just mm-hmm. think like you're, you're right. You don't look at semis as a three or four month thing. If you want to be a cyclical trader and trade on, or on cycles in the economy, you can do that. But if you want to be a long-term investor, think about the things you know we're going to be using five, 10 years from now. That's a pretty good place to put your money. Yeah, and if you look at the infrastructure of what's happening in the semiconductor world, you saw TSM is trying to build a factory in Arizona, $100 million factory. Uh, there's a company, it's crazy. I was just having this conversation when we were talking about AMD, but Global Foundries. Are you guys familiar? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Global Foundries, it, it was the, the manufacturing arm of AMD, is a, a right here in New York, a semiconductor company that- I don't know that. I, I think, well, yeah, exactly. It's the one of those old babies. I, and potential in the next three to four years could go public. So semiconductor world, especially in the United States, we, we produce such a small percentage of the world's semiconductors. And so that when you see companies like TSM come into the United States and you see AMD building factories here, it tells you like this thing is here to stay and we want to produce um, more of them so we don't have to pay the surcharge from getting them as an export. 
I'll put it uh, in the chat, Global Foundries. You can G-L-O-B-A-L-F-O-U-N-D-R-I-E-S, Global Foundries, GF. I, I like what you said about uh, uh, chips being like the new real world, the new real world, real railroad. Railroad. Transports. Yeah, transports. I like that. I like that. Because if you really think about it, uh, that's how information is getting transported. It's, it's not, you know, the, the old way of actually doing it physically is not really happening so much these days and it's all digital. So um, yeah, SMH, AMD, uh, TSM, all of those companies. NVIDIA. You know, right. NVIDIA. Yeah. And yeah. you mentioned the ETFs, which are the, which are a great way to access the sector. If you don't want to try to pick individual stocks, the SOX, uh, Philly Semiconductor Index, you mentioned the other ETF earlier. Um, those are all great ways for investors if they don't want to like do the research on individual stocks and follow them. Expose yourself to the sector through ETFs. It's a great way to do it, and it, and they what's, trade like stocks. What's your favorite ETF in that sector? Well, I like socks just because I've been in it for a long time, uh, and I know those companies very well. But you could really go up and down if, whether you want to be in the component uh, part of it, the manufacturing component of it, uh, like the JDs of the world. So I stick with socks just because I be built positions yeah, in socks it is over amazing. the last 10 to 15 years. And anytime I get a chance to put money in it, I do. Um, so that's the one I follow the closest. It's also, I think, the biggest by market cap. That 10 years, ask, that 20 year trend is amazing. Let me ask you um, some investment questions, uh, just theory based. Do you believe in dollar cost averaging? Absolutely. I got a tattoo on my shoulder. <laughs> I got that inked right here, uh, right here with risk management on this side. Um, of course I do. And, and, and to, to Ian's point earlier, and you guys have said it too on many shows, if you have conviction and you're a long-term investor and you believe in a, in a, in a sector or a stock or a group of companies, the best way to expose yourself and build a, a nice position over time that will generate that compounding, which is the magic fairy dust of investing, is the mm -hmm. dollar cost average. Whether you feel it's all time high and it can't go higher, or it just took a 20% bath, keep buying in a little bit every month, a little bit every month until you change your tune on that sector. That's how you build a big position. I talked to so many people, and I know you guys do too. They show you their portfolio. I got two shares of this, three shares of that, four shares of that. They bought them at different points in their life, but I'm like, you'll never grow wealth and take advantage of that, you know, that magic that happens when you build solid positions over time and you're in there at like a $40 average on an Apple when the stock's up where it is today, but you've been doing it for years. There's nothing better than that in investing. Um, what's, what's one of the biggest mistakes that you made in investing that you hope everyone here tonight doesn't make? I thought I was smarter than the market and could call the bottom. And I was doing this back in 2008, uh, watching Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, the biggest banks, the most well-capitalized banks run by the smartest people in the world, the masters of the universe, saying to myself, no way they're going to let Lehman go under. No way they're going to let Lehman uh, fall below 10 bucks a share. No way that's going to happen to Bear Stearns. It all happened to me. I took big positions in those. For, well, I was a younger man. That was a lot of money to me at the time, several thousand dollars. Lost it all. And I keep, guys, I keep uh, those tickers I keep that those positions in my portfolio to remind myself that I'm no smarter than the market. I'm the editor of Investopedia, and I'm a terrible trader and a stock picker when it comes to timing. But I'm really good at following the rules, having a plan, and doing it the you know the slow way. I'd rather be the tortoise than the hare in this race any day. 
Yeah. So you, you mentioned cyclical cyclical trading. Are there sectors that you favor more than others? Others or are you invested throughout all eleven? I stay invested through through almost all eleven, but I do avoid, and I'm. This is a a conscious thing for me. I do avoid. Uh, a lot of the uh, oil and gas sectors, a lot of the climate change participants, I don't really want to be involved with those, nor do I want to be involved with mining other than crypto mining. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be involved in those sectors that contribute to to global warming and and contribute to climate change in that negative way. I'd rather be part of the solution. So I'm looking for more opportunities in what we sometimes call ESG, but it could also be called impact investing, this environmental, social, and governance conscious capitalism, circular economy companies. I'm looking for those opportunities because I think there's a better way to do this whole capitalism thing. And I want to be exposed there. Let, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Um, it's interesting. We actually just did a study hall on our podcast about SRI, socially responsible investing. investing. Um, and it's something that I'm sure that they can uh, type on your website and find definitions. So a lot of people are conflicted with religious beliefs or just, you know, social beliefs. They don't want to invest in companies that maybe invest in private prisons. They don't want to invest in uh, tobacco companies. So can we talk about um, socially responsible investing? Because I'm, I'm not sure if we talked about that yet. Yeah, it's one of my favorite topics, and it's a super popular topic on Investopedia because we have a lot of investors of all ages, but as you see it more in the younger ones who want to invest along with their hearts. So socially responsible investing is investing in companies that sort of adhere to those credos when it comes to management, when it comes to diversity, when it comes to pay, when it comes to how they treat their customers, their clients, their vendors, and their shareholders. So they're thinking about that entire galaxy of being a good corporate citizen. And there are tremendous stock screeners out there right now. They're on Morningstar. You could find them on Yahoo. You could find them on um, uh, Investnet. You could find them on uh, Riskalyze. Great stock screeners that allow you to say, these are the things I believe in. Here are the companies that fall into that category. Or here are the things that I don't want to be invested in. Here are the companies that fall into that category. And you can move them over or move them out of your portfolio. And that's a great way to expose yourself and get to know actually what companies do and where they actually score and rank in these different metrics of social uh, responsibility, diversity, gender, equal pay, climate change, all the issues you probably care about. If you care about any of these, you could screen out for and find the companies you want. Yeah. Ian, you got a question? Oh, Ian's oh, frozen. Oh, they got him in the major. Um, <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, no, you're, you're back. You're back. You're back. You're back. I'm back. Um, <laughs> who was who giving you the best piece of investing advice and what was it? It was uh, Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's partner. He's only like 96 years old. Uh, interviewed him <laughs> a couple of times when he was like 88, you know, a young man. And Charlie... I don't know if you've ever watched any of the Berkshire Hathaway annual meetings. He sits there, you know, like a Jedi, barely says anything. Every once in a while, he'll pipe up with something and it'll be the most incredible, simple, perfect idea or thought for the moment interviewing him. And he said this and it stuck with me. And I, and I, uh, I, I always remembered, he said, and he was 88 when he told me this, I don't have the capacity in my life for people who don't have the capacity to change their mind, right? I don't want to be around anybody that can't change their thinking. I like to have strong opinions, but I also like them to be loosely held. And I think about Charlie whenever I think that I've, I'm absolutely right about something or that there's no way I could be 
wrong or uncertain about something. I think about that a lot. Or when my, you know, I get knocked off the horse, which happens all the time to me, you got to realize maybe it's time for to have that capacity to change or listen to the people who are telling you that. So that I apply to almost every part of my life, but certainly my investing life where as the editor in chief, sometimes I think I, you know, I can fly all the way to the sun, but I usually get my wings burned pretty fast when I do. I love it. How how, how often are, are you updating information on Investopedia? I, I know it must be tedious and it's a meticulous process, but how often are you updating? What's that process like? Is there a team that's coming in? I mean, every time there's new information, you guys have to update. So what's that process like? No, that's just me and a, and a case of Mountain Dews, just chugging Mountain Dews and updating <laughs> content and flying around the internet. No, you, you ask a great question. We spend most of our time, most of our budget, most of our people resources and brain power making sure we're updating our content. And let me give you a little backstory and a little background on this. We're 23 years old as a website. 23 on the internet is like 230 years old yes. in real life, right? We've been around since 1999, since the internet bubble, you know, since the first dot-com bust through the financial crisis, and we're still here. But because we're so old and big, we have like 36, 40,000 articles or terms or definitions on our site. So yes, we're an encyclopedia, we're also a how-to. We also have product rev you know, reviews of platforms. We also have FAQs or test prep. We have a ton of stuff on there. But the best thing that we could possibly do, because very few people used to come and hang out and browse through Investopedia, very few people do. Most people come in the back door, side door, bottom door, attic door, right? They're coming through Google. They're coming through Bing. They're coming through Yahoo because they asked a question. They have intent. We have all a lot of those answers, but we have to make sure that those answers are updated frequently by experts who know what they're talking about, fact-checked and verified by other experts who make sure that those experts know what they're talking about, and then timestamp with that new information that lets you know when it was updated, why it was updated, what's relevant about the update so we can stay on top of it. Now, some people might just want to come in for what is PE ratio, which that definition is there. It's been there forever, does 5 million visits a year or more. Um, but we'll also every once in a while add a new example, a case study, maybe looking at an Amazon or looking at a stock uh, that we want to break apart to help educate people. So we spend a lot of time updating every single piece of content. So it's the freshest and best answer for our readers and the people who are searching for information. They have intent, we have answers. That turns out to be a pretty good business that's lasted 23 years. Let me ask you this, uh, let's have this conversation. Cryptocurrency, uh, President Biden, I believe has talked about um, taxing crypto mm -hmm. to pay for infrastructure. Um, what do you feel about the president's idea to tax crypto? And uh, what is your thoughts on how that could uh, impact the space? Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Liam Neeson in Taken. Um, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> right? Like, good luck with that. And good luck with the transaction tax on stock uh, on stock purchases or sales, which I know he's talking about as well. Yeah. You want to talk about how to cripple the industry, that's the way to do it. But the lobby, the money management lobby, the investment uh, industry lobby is never going to let any of that happen. And he could tax crypto if he wants, but you know how hard it is to track crypto, even though <clears throat> he may force the Coinbase's of the world to disclose their records. I think that that is a, a shot across the bow, but an empty warning. It's a lot harder than it seems. And there is a ton, a ton of lobbyists between him and that ever happening. And that happening in the next two and a half years or so, I don't think is, is going to be realistic at all. And if he did, if it were to go through, I think that uh, 
the industry would be up in arms about it to a point where it would debilitate any sort of hopes for any sort of continuation of the legacy of the Biden administration going forward. That's a really tough task. Okay, there was an article in uh, CNBC about uh, tax loopholes uh, that are helping Bitcoin holders, and it goes into the the the, the wash rule. Can can you explain what the, the the actual wash sales rule is and how it can help people in Bitcoin and saving taxes? Yeah, so my, my buddy Tyrone Ross is quoted in this article, uh, a smart piece of advice. Tyrone is the CEO of OnRamp, uh, tremendous guy who's really an expert in this. But the wash sale, and it applies to not just um, stocks, it applies to, to real estate as well. If you sell a stock, um, there's like a 30, you have, you have to wait 30 days to reinvest those profits in if, before you buy another one. Otherwise, you're going to get hit with a, a short-term capital gains tax. So you have to... Um, in, in the crypto world, that doesn't exist yet. So if you wanted to take a loss on a token that you've you know maybe bought high and then you want to sell low, you could carry that loss forward for as many years as you want and apply it to your gains going forward. Similarly, you could take your gains from selling a crypto token and apply them already to, a, to another sale without uh, being hit by that higher tax. So the wash sale rule applies to stocks. It applies to some areas of the real estate market, but not to cryptos, not yet. That is legislation that I could see potentially happening in the next few months, few years. Yeah. As the media company last year, when the market crashed, um, did you feel tempted to buy into the meme stock a meme kind of content generation or how, what did you do to combat that, to stay the course? Yeah, I um, took a leather belt and I bit it as hard as I could for as long <laughs> as I could to not do it. No, I, I, I told you, I made my mistakes. I made my mistakes in 99, you know, chasing pets.com or whatever that was. Yeah. Um, and companies that aren't even around anymore. I made my mistakes in 2008, 2009, buying, buying blue chip companies. But then I also learned what was actually happening with you know, this Federal Reserve and this monetary policy support, the likes of which we've never seen, and these trillions of dollars flooding in. And I remember yes. very clearly, I was at CNN working there in 2008, 2009, during that financial crisis, when all of a sudden interest rates dropped to zero, the Fed started buying government bonds and laying the safety net across the entire capital markets. Mm -hmm. I remember my anchor at the time uh, and a few other people saying, back up the truck, back up the yeah. truck and start buying stock because they're never going to let this go down. Um, turns out they were right. That was one of the greatest 12-year rallies of all time. Got interrupted last year during COVID. Um, and now we just went on another 100% run in the S&P 500 from the lows of late March 2020. So I get tempted to do that, but I know I'm terrible at trading. I don't have the time. And also, I'm the editor-in-chief of Investopedia. I'm out there talking a lot about the market, talking a lot about companies and stocks. I don't want the conflicts of interest in owning individual equities, especially ones like that, that are so hot, like I'll own something long-term, but I'm not in it for the trade because I'm terrible at it. And I want to be, you know, uh, clear heart, uh, you know, clear eyes, open heart, as they say, or oh, so I don't get that conflict of interest when I'm talking about it. Um, let me reset the room real quick. 4,100 people on YouTube. We appreciate you. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Guys, if you could hit the like button, greatly appreciate it. Like, like, like. Like the video, share it. Um, let me ask you this question. So uh, this is something that I've always been uh, concerned about. Um, bear markets usually, and correct me if I'm wrong, usually last, I mean, bull markets usually last seven years. Um, and then bear markets last like 18 months on average, I believe, around that time. Um, so we were in a 12 year bull market, which I, like you said, is like the longest in history. And then we had the shortest bear market in history last year, which was only a few months. Mm-hmm. And now we're back in a bull market. Um, so obviously that was a lot due to, uh, the government just printing money at, uh, unprecedented rate and pumped a lot of money into the economy, which made us go back and helped us go back into a bull market. But uh, it's one of these things where at some point in my brain, we have to go back into a prolonged bear market or is that no longer the case where it's like, okay, bear markets might not happen anymore. Like how they used to happen. Great question. Uh, my good, our good buddy, my good buddy, JC Peretz likes to say, there's always a bear market somewhere. So we're in, if you look around the market and it's a global market and it's a market of stocks, right? There's the stock market, but we always talk about the Dow, the S&P, the Russell, but then there's the global market of stocks. And if you look around, the Hang Seng fell 10% last week. That's mm-hmm. a technical correction. You look at uh, the meme stocks, AMC and GameStop, even though they're up whatever, 1,400, 1,200%, they're down 45, 50% from their highs. Crypto is in a technical bear market. There's always a bear market happening. It just depends on the asset class you're looking at or where you're looking around the world. So there's that. Are we going to have a bear market in the United States in the S&P 500 or the Dow? Yeah, we are going to have one. The fact is, though, and you mentioned it, that was the cutest little bear market in history. It hurt that 35% drop, but it was cute. It lasted five minutes, right? Um, Again, we had the support, but there's also this, and this is important. There are so many passive investors in the stock market right now, passively investing through their 401k, through their Roth IRA, through their own brokerage accounts. They're just setting and forgetting it through the robo-advisors. There's just a ton of money sitting there in the vanguards and the fidelity index funds of the world, right? It's heavy. It's like a big, heavy ship. It takes a lot to move that whole ship down and get passive investors to sell. Everybody's got a threshold, but for passive investors, this household across the United States and across the world sitting on all of this stock income, people have a very deep threshold before they're ready to to throw in their hand. So we'll get a bear market. It may come soon, right? This is the worst two months of the stock market right now, um, August and September. We may get a correction here. We may fall into a bear. I doubt it. But 
in general, I just think the market is so heavy that we're going to get these things, but they're not going to last long. And the government now has this moral hazard where they're just not letting things fall that far. They're not yeah. letting the capital markets fall apart because they don't want a 2008, 2009 situation again. Yeah. And if they did, yeah. I think in 2020, last year, we would have crashed through the 50% uh, of the Dow. And what people not, are not remembering in 1970, 1980, there wasn't as much quantitative easing. But as you mentioned, Caleb, the amount of people that are buying automatically and then the preaching of index funds was not present. Those two factors, like 1929, everyone was not automatically invested into 401ks or mutual fund plans. So those levers are dramatically different. And then, but the quantitative easing thing, because I know Rashad is a pessimist, like Rashad will make you <laughs> prove your case to him. Um <laughs> And, and the thing is, like, we, the quantitative easing part is tough because now you're building a house of cards. But they, as Caleb mentioned, you can't stop the quantitative easing because if we do and the floor falls from underneath it, it'll be disastrous for many industries, many people, and many jobs will go away. So now it's this thing that you have to kind of keep in place. And probably for the next 20 something years, it will have to be in place until we reach a point of no return. Yeah, Caleb, uh, obviously, Investopedia is almost, I mean, it is a search engine for anybody really trying to learn about investing. I'm wondering what you do, right? Because as you see these, the people searching words and what type of analytics are you using and what are you seeing with those analytics, right? If somebody's typing in mean stocks, all right, this must be a, a, something that's going on or you hear fear and you hear, you might see Shadi typing in, what's a bear market, what's the long, what are you doing with these analytics? Yeah, great question. And because we have a lot of people who are doing this, 23 odd million visitors a month, 3 million page views a day on the on order, uh, sometimes more, we're seeing what the questions are that people are asking. And, and in that you see their intention, not in a creepy way, like we're seeing what you might see in a Google trend search, but we're seeing at a very, uh, what we call a taxonomy level. So we have our taxes, our investing taxes and our trading taxes. We're seeing what people are specifically looking at. And sometimes that is as broad. And one of the more popular questions on the website, believe it or not, is what is money? I think that is people literally wondering, what is this thing we call money? And I also think it's people thinking about a crypto world like what is money metaphysically? So we have that. Mm. But we also have people asking very pointed questions like, how do I start investing with $10,000 or Roth IRA or 401k or TD Ameritrade or, or uh, Robinhood, which broker's better? Or how do I buy uh, swaps? Or how do I buy warrants? Or what's a SPAC? So when you get all of that, you know where the interest is, but you also know what people are sort of fearing or what they're optimistic about. Mm -hmm. So when people are searching, what is volatility? What is the VIX? What is a bear market? How much could I lose? What is a, you know, when you see those fear-based terms, we've created an anxiety index, which actually peaks before the VIX index, because we see what you're searching for. Think about it. When you get scared and you want to learn something, you're like, what is a this before I do a this? We know what the what is a this part of that is. And we're seeing those spikes in fear and anxiety before they appear in the stock market, through the VIX, mm -hmm. through the options market, and into the stock market. It's fascinating, but it also makes us go, we better update that article because something big just happened. We had the reverse stock split with GE today. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. I'm looking at Google Analytics on our website and, and reverse stock splits spiking like a rocket ship. And I'm like, what happened? Mm -hmm. I go and I find the reverse stock split with GE, put that anecdote in the, in the, into the story. 
and move on. So we have to update our content to make sure that we're not, we're not chasing the news. We're just trying to be relevant around it. And because we have so many terms, we're doing this at scale by the thousands every week. Yeah, that, that was that was my search engine on the warrant call. I hit Ian up and we would like studying that mm -hmm. together. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, let, let's ask about a couple of questions if we can about some terms, um, because we, we very rarely get a chance to do this. Um, especially with somebody who does it for a living. Yeah. So you talked about reverse stock split. A lot of people might not be familiar with what a reverse stock split is. What is a reverse stock split? Well, a, a company that issues, a public company that issues shares may decide to split their shares traditionally. So if you, they, they had a thousand or let's just say a million shares outstanding, they split their shares. Now they have 2 million, but at half the price, a reverse splits the other way where you're splitting down from, you know, you're, you're reducing the amount of shares you have on the market, but making each share worth more. So if you had a million shares and you reverse split two for one, now you have 500,000 shares, but those each individual share is worth twice that. So it's just a way of either raising the value of the individual share through a reverse split or creating more shares outstanding to make more shares available to the public markets if you're doing a traditional split. So there's a difference, but it really is what the company is trying to do with its share base. And companies will often split their shares um, to make more shares available outstanding so that more people can buy in. You saw some of this happening with some of the meme stocks, but then you have companies that will never ever split like a Berkshire Hathaway. That's why the stock price for Berkshire Hathaway class A shares is 260 or whatever thousand dollars a piece. But what is that? Let's talk about Berkshire Halfway. Yeah, two hundred. You guys stock that's almost three hundred thousand dollars a share. I mean, is that just nostalgic? Earlier, is it, it's just like nostalgic Warren Buffett? Because in my brain, it's like, what's the upside potential versus the downside risk of a stock that's over two hundred thousand dollars? Like, it kind of doesn't make any sense at this point. Yeah, but think about think about who owns that stock and who's been buying that stock for the last fifty or sixty years, right? These are mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> probably not folks who you know who are coming to Investopedia all the time or or listening to the pub. Maybe they are, but for them, Berkshire B shares are the retail sort of more available shares. But the Class A shares are worth more because those are goes to the executives. Those goes to the original. Those go to the original shareholders. Right. And they build entire equity bases around the fact that they own maybe 10 of these or maybe there's 100 that have been in their family for a long time. There's the prestige of it all. But they also come those those class A shares with more voting rights um, for proxy related matters, for corporate governance related matters, and maybe the ability to get in on other deals. Um, uh, so there's there's a reason that you have these different classes of shares. Typically, the reason that you have these multiple classes, in a, and especially in a company like Berkshire, is to make sure that control is centralized around a couple of people, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Yeah. As a media uh, company, what were some of the steps that you, that you took to get Investopedia to be the number one site that most investors go to to look for information? And about how long did that take? Yeah. So I'm not going to take very much credit for that. We've been around for 23 years. I've been with the company almost six years. Um, so it's gone through so, uh, a few hands, but I want to give credit to the, to the four guys who started this in Canada way back in 1998, 1999, who said to themselves, we see a lot of these internet stocks have popping right now. We see people talking about it. There's this new channel called CNBC that's on cable in, in, in the United States. 
everyone's using words like EBITDA and, you know, profit margins and, you know, uh, regret, you know, regression analysis, but nobody knows what these things mean. Why don't we make a dictionary of financial terms? And guess what? There's a company I've heard of down in uh, Mountain View, California called Google, a couple guys working out of a garage. We're talking 1999 here. These guys are trying <laughs> to index the internet. So why, maybe if we put the dictionary online, then maybe these guys in Mountain View in their garage will link to us once they index the internet. And anytime somebody's looking for something, they'll come to us. And we have a pretty cool name. Sounds like encyclopedia. So the, all the credit in the world goes to them for the idea. They also put test prep there for the Series 63, Series 7. So you could train to become a broker. You could train to work into the into the financial, uh, f- to get your way into the financial industry. It went through a few hands after that. About uh, seven, eight years ago, our grandparent company, IAC, Interactive Corp, bought us, Investopedia, um, and decided that they liked having us around and keeping us in the family. And that's kind of when I joined, about you know 20, uh, 2016 or so. So since then, what we've done is spent a ton of money improving the most popular, but all the content on the site. Because a lot of this, guys, was written in 2003, 2004, 2009. 2012. The world changed a lot since then. And the opinion, the attitude, but not only that, the tone in which it was written has also changed in terms of sensitivity, in terms of who we're talking to. The thing we spent a lot of time on in the past couple of years is making sure that we're speaking to all communities, right? We don't want to be, be talking to the business school kid who's you know, going to get a job on Wall Street and get one of those cool hedge fund vests and be off to the races. You'll see him on the country club. We want to make sure we're talking to everybody who wants to invest, who wants to learn about money, who wants to learn about taking control of their finance, just like you guys are doing. So they have a chance because that's just not taught to us in high school or in elementary school. We walk out of college with $32,000, $36,000 in debt and a job that doesn't pay for it. And we, how do we get invested at that point? It's too late. So that's what we're trying to do. Open it up, make it relevant to everybody and make it better every single day. Kip, can we, can we go over really quickly? Well, we, got, we got to acknowledge somebody. Oh, South, a- South Africa. Oh, okay. Two, two, 253. Brandon is up at 253 AM in South Africa. Shout out to watching, Brandon. Uh, watching this right now. So uh, Shout out to Brandon. What part of South Africa? Brandon, put it in the chat, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, I see it right there. The power, the power of the internet. You never know who you're going to reach. <laughs> and uh, people all the way out in South Africa are tuned in at almost three o'clock in the morning for this information. So, uh, yeah, we appreciate that. (laughs) Shout out to Duvall. He said 7.53 in Houston. Okay, we appreciate you too, bro. Um, (laughs) uh, Studying the options game, um, I won't even call it a game, studying the options market, uh, call warrants is something that I had never heard of. And the first person I I text was Wall Street Trapper. The next person I text was Ian. And we were like, I think, I'm like, I think I found something. And they were like, where'd you find it? I'm like, Investopedia, it's the only yeah, place to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you explain, Caleb, what call warrants are? Uh, I can do a pretty good job of explaining what warrants are in general. And warrants really okay. are the right to buy a, a company stock, or in this case, an option as a, at a specific price at a certain time in this, at a specific date in the future. So if you're buying call warrants, you're really buying the right to buy those options in the future. And I think it's the same with stock. And in the case of a stock, you're actually buying the right to buy the stock from a company also works in the SPAC world. So that's the key thing about a warrant. It's the the right to purchase, not necessarily the obligation, but that's what you're purchasing when you buy a warrant. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, those those two key words, the right and obligation, are two different things. And so, like, that's right. what I took from it when I was doing my research. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Got it. But I had I, I had never heard of it before I looked up on your site. So again, kudos to you guys. Yeah, um, I want I would love to get some questions. I see Nigeria's in the chat. There's people all over the world, Cape Town. Um, so much. Before we before we go to questions, we got to talk about this. Uh, so it's very rare to have, like I said, we we all actually use the site, but. Not only did he uh, invite us on his podcast, and we invited him on Market Mondays, but it's I hear about an activation that's going to be happening at InvestFest. <laughs> so yeah, can we talk about can we talk about InvestFest for a little bit? Because uh, yes, Investopedia will definitely be at InvestFest. So uh, <laughs> what's going on with that? I uh, you guys brought brought it up to me, and I got the first thing that went through my mind. Asked Troy this was rage because I was like, that's a great idea. And I should have thought of that idea. I'm just mad now because InvestFest, the Coachella of investing, absolutely. What a terrific idea. And I got a little mad for a minute. And then I was like, okay, I'm over that. I got to be there. We want to be there. These are the folks we want to be talking to. We know we have some readers that are there, but we know some folks that maybe haven't gotten used to or gotten to know us that well. This is a great opportunity for us to to, to meet uh, folks, especially down in Atlanta. That's got a great financial community. And the guests that you guys are bringing together and the vendors and just the whole program uh, that that you've sort of hatched out of your mind, just manifested is absolutely the kind of thing we want to be at. So we're looking forward to being an InvestFest at the end of August down in Atlanta. We're going to bring some goodies down there. We're going to have some pl- fun, play some investor trivia, ask me anything's about investing, give out some good, uh, some giveaways out there. Cause we just want to be part of the action. And like I said, uh, that that's such a good idea, simple, pure, elegant idea. And I'm just mad. I didn't, it didn't come out of my head, but I'm really glad you guys are doing it. And I can't wait to be there. Uh, thank you. Appreciate it. He's Appreciate not lying, it. ladies and gentlemen. That, that was the first words out of his mouth. Wait, why the hell did I think of this? Really quick, before we take questions, can we just do our earnings report real quick and yes. say what we were watching? All right. So um, uh, Tuesday, uh, and we spoke about this last week when we talked about China stocks, Alibaba will be reporting tomorrow. Activision, anybody in the gaming, I know you and Hero, I believe Activision's inside of that ETF uh, will be reporting as well. And Lyft, on Wednesday, we got GM, Roku, uh, shout out to Smalls, that's one of his favorites, uh, Uber and Etsy. And uh, Thursday, the, the JP of the future, Square will be reporting, Moderna will be reporting, and Wayfair. And then on Friday, my, my, my good friends, of the DraftKings will be reporting. Every time DraftKings reports, my DMs go crazy. And so yeah. hopefully we'll, we'll make sure that DraftKings uh, has, has a good reporting. And uh, obviously with sports coming back in a full way, uh, I'm looking forward to it. There's some talk that FanDuel might leave from uh, Flutter and actually uh, IPO. So be on the lookout for that as well. FanDuel, another uh, sports betting site. Sports gaming. Yeah, sports yeah. Sports gaming. <laughs> Somebody put Troy in DraftKings. Here we go. <laughs> All right, let's open it up a little bit. All right, here we go. Oh, let's see. Let's go right here. Let's go right here. We open it up. Tyrone. Tyrone Coleman, what's going on? Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. I think that's Mashburn. It's my guy. Damn. Fridge break. Fridge break. Believe in him. Joel. Joel Nunez, we coming to you. Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. What's going on? Let's see how quick. There you go. Joel, what's up? I'm here. I'm here. What's good, y'all? Good. How are you? Everything good. Everything good. 
I'm doing well. Um, you know, I actually knew I was going to be a muted today, so I actually wrote down my question so I didn't forget. Um, oh, man. So I started reading the Dondo Investor because when Trap was on, he was talking about uh, Manish Proprietor. So this goes to anyone who wants to answer it. Uh, how do y'all like go about calculating like intrinsic value and terminal value when you when you like researching a company? That's a great question. Caleb, you want to take it first? Yeah, good question. Well, uh, thankfully, there are a lot of screeners that can do that for you, and you can compare one company to another. So if you were to, I'm thinking about some of the screeners that I would use for this. I know Schwab has one where you can com do that comparison. There's also some pretty advanced stock screeners out there. Uh, I don't believe maybe Finomize may even do that for you. So there's machines that will do that for you. There's no need to get put pen and paper to it. But the point of why you would want to do that is more important. So if you're looking at intrinsic value because you're trying to think that there's maybe some untapped value in the company that's not being appreciated in the stock price, and that's why you want to potentially participate, that's just one thing to look at. But you also have to look at what's happening across that industry and with that company's competitors, because it may not be the fact that it may be priced low because of its intrinsic, you know, there may be some metrics that are not working there. There may be other reasons. So know why you're looking that up before you look it up, but there's plenty of screeners that'll help you pick that out. Uh, and you could probably set up a whole watch list of companies, you know, from high to low and intrinsic value or low to high, and then make your picks that way. There you go. Thanks, Joel. I appreciate you. That was, that was, yeah. I'm not sure if we're going to get any more than that. Joel, appreciate you. Let's go to, oh, Mike. My guy, Mike. What's going on, Mike? Mike is the number one person in the chat every Monday. Mike, what's going on? Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, happy birthday, Ian. Thank and, you, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, my question is for Silver. Uh, what inspired you? on your trading journey? Like what actually got you started since when you were younger? Great, great question. And thanks for joining. You're here all the time, but thanks for being here. And thanks for, uh, for welcoming me. I, I am, uh, uh, my dad is an investment banker, a venture capitalist. I learned a lot just by sort of sitting at his knee, reading a lot of uh, private placement memorandums, learning about companies, going on company visits with him. So that kind of got my interest in business, but I didn't want to be a banker. Uh, I didn't want to be a venture capitalist. Uh, too risky for me. I'm a journalist and I was much more interested in the story and the stories behind companies. So in learning about companies and the storytelling I did, whether I was at Bloomberg Television or my days at CNN Money, um, really kind of helped teach me how to think about companies and how to learn to invest. And Bloomberg was very instrumental in that because Bloomberg is beyond a news organization. It is a financial services company with this incredible terminal, but you can't work there. You couldn't work there back in, in the day when I started at 26 years old without going through what they call Bloomberg University. Thank God you guys have EYL and the EYL University, but you had to learn the way the stock market worked, the way the bond market worked, the way the Federal Reserve worked, the way the options market worked before you could report on it. So I got that deep dive, that dunk in the deep end that got me passionate about investing. And then I also came of age as a young journalist in the internet bubble, where I was watching the rise and fall of what I thought were some of the greatest companies in the world that were blown out of the sky within minutes. And that's something that I'll never forget is you could think an AOL, for example, is never going away. AOL's mm -hmm. gone. And it does. Basically. Yeah. Gone. And if you have an AOL email, I got to stop playing with you. Reward yourself. Upgrade. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> you do. I want that T-shirt. Uh, appreciate you, Mike. Uh, let's go to 
Maurice, what's going on? Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. Maurice, you there? Uh, Maurice, don't do this. Don't make me do it. I'll squeeze one in. Caleb, are there any key lessons that you learned from your dad as a venture capitalist that you apply to this day? Yeah, and one, I think the key one is, um, you know, when you're looking at companies and you're evaluating companies, you could look at all of those metrics and make sure that everything sort of smells all right, but it's really people that you're investing in. And it's a little bit different with stocks and public companies, but you really want to feel good about that management team one way or the other. You want to feel like they're heading in the right direction. They have strategy. They see around corners, whether you're going to go to work for a company like that or invest in a company like that, or just make a trade in a company like that. You want to have some conviction in the human beings at the core of it all, because sometimes it really just does come down to that human judgment. And that's what I learned from uh, one of the key lessons I learned from my dad. Good question. Thank you. Let me ask you this as far as um, how many stocks should be in a person's portfolio? What is what is your take on it? Ian has a philosophy of two tech, two index. Uh, some people say five, some people say 10, some people say one, focus on just one company. Like, what is your, what's your thoughts on, on a portfolio? Because that's a question that people ask so like a lot. Like, how should I, you know, diversify my portfolio? How should I put together my portfolio? Which should it be ETF? Should it be stocks? Should it be indexes? What's your thoughts on making a portfolio? Yeah, I, I like Ian's answer earlier because it does give you, make you focus if you're only looking at eight to 10 companies or a few companies in each sector, and you're also thinking about them for short term, medium term, long term, forever term. Uh, I like that because it does make you learn that business super well. And you can change your mind on a company and not get emotional and try to hold on to it for life if it doesn't feel right anymore and rotate out to another company in another sector or rotate out to an adjacent sector that may have a better opportunity. I like 12 to 20, right? In terms of companies or ETFs, because that's kind of my capacity to, you know, to manage. I also like to be broadly diversified across industries. And I also like the little nuance industries that ETFs allow you to get exposure to. So it's not like I, I like all tech and I'll buy the Qs and I'll buy the other big um, tech ETFs. Um, but I like some of the adjacent industries that are just on the side of that. I do that with, uh, with the cannabis industry too. It's not the, it's not the, the dispensaries per se or the big retailers. I'm much more interested in the medical, the, the companies on the fringe are the medical devices and the medical therapies in cannabis, but also the growing systems. I think those are fascinating industries. And also similarly, like I'm thinking about, I talked about climate change and ESG investing earlier. I'm interested in companies in water preservation, water yes. conservation, water purification. So I, there's ETFs that service that as well. So I like that fringe aspect I like my core, which is, you know, the super sectors, but then I like a few of those fringe aspects. So that brings me out to like 20. Mm. What, what are some of those uh, marijuana ETFs or companies that you are looking at? Well, uh, you know, there's the, the canopies of the world and the ones that everybody knows and the Tilrays of the world. Um, but when I started looking at, I started looking at some of the Israeli uh, um, cannabis companies that were doing the medical tech on cannabis. Um, don't ask me to remember the names. And there was like three or four years ago, I started buying some of these and some of the ETFs around that. But also if I wanted that broad exposure, uh, ETF MG, uh, MJ is the ETF, the big <laughs> cannabis ETF that kind of gives you everything. It's like, you want the Yolo. growers, 
yeah, YOLO, yeah. uh, started by a friend of ours in, in the industry, which I got to know right out of the gate when it, when he started that. So I like to look at those and you know, you, it's like 31,000 flavors. Now it's not 31 flavors. It's 31,000 flavors of ETFs. There's, I don't know, 2 million ETFs out there. So there's a lot to choose from and you could just literally pick any fringe part of any industry and get exposure to it that way. But you want to make sure when you're buying ETFs that there's liquidity in those ETFs because those could yes. disappear as fast as a stock, as fast as a penny stock, they could be gone. Make sure there's liquidity, see who's backing it, see how much assets are in there, see the trend of asset flows over time and make sure you feel comfortable with it because they could be flying by iodine as well. That's very, very important. Perfect. Can, you, can you talk about that real quick with the liquidity? Because oh. if you remember maybe 2015, like SVXY, like fell through the floor. And, and I know a bunch of people that lost a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars there. How can people check to know if uh, ETF has good liquidity? And then what are the measurements of who they should be backed by? Yeah. So you want to look at, at uh, you could look at any ETF has a fact sheet, typically if it's brought to you by a responsible issuer. So the state streets of the world and the, and the fidelities of the world. And, uh, but even some of the smaller players, you'll see a fact sheet and that fact sheet will be all the statistics you need to care about as a potential investor, AUM, growth of AUM over time, performance over time, industry component, uh, sector components, the weighting of each company in that sector and the liquidity. So you don't want an ETF that has, doesn't have ample liquidity or that hasn't been battle tested because we saw that you mentioned 2015. What about uh, XLO, the oil, the big oil ETF? Yeah. Damn thing almost went negative last year when oil went negative. Whoever thought mm -hmm. that could happen? If the money starts flowing out, because remember, ETFs are for retail investors, but they're really used by institutional investors for hedging activity. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. all of a sudden they decide to open the door and jump out with their shoots on, sure. all the liquidity can fall out of that ETF in a minute and it could be gone. It could go to zero real fast. Yeah. So you want to make sure there's ample liquidity from a lot of institutions. You can look at the numbers. You want a couple of billion if you can get it, if it's a big enough ETF, to make sure that when the bottom falls or it falls out a little bit, the whole floor doesn't collapse below you. Look at it on their fact sheets, but you can also do a look at Morningstar for their ETF ratings. A bunch of other uh, websites have really good ETF, ETF DB, ETF Trends. Those are really good websites with really good databases that show you liquidity, show you a um, show you who's backing it too. When we, we talked about IPO and we said we'd like to see it settle and maybe six months out, uh, check where it's at. You think the same thing is true for ETFs, right? We look at the inception date and see, all right, well, this is a fairly new one. Let's, let's give it some time. Let's get some value trades inside of it before we invest. Yeah. Same rule of thumb. Yeah, I give I let them go a few rounds unless it's so hot to try that you got to be a part of it. Like ARC, uh, Kathy Wood came out with a bunch of ETFs in the, in the past couple of years, you know, they were basically sold out before they hit the trading floor because she was, you know, the thing in ETF land for a few minutes there. So some of them move fast like stocks, but I, I think it's good to let them go a few rounds to make sure that they can be battle tested. You know, the big ones, you know, the spies of the world, the QQQs of the world brought to you by the Invesco's, the state streets, the, you know, the fidelities, the, the Invesco's, right. These are the big houses and this is what they do. But you're also seeing this growth of the white label ETF business. So the, you know, the four of us could start an ETF tomorrow if we came up with the right idea. You saw Barstool Portnoy, you know, he was backing an ETF. What was it called? Hype or something like that. Um, 
It doesn't take a lot to get them off the ground. It takes about 50 million to launch an ETF and market it, but you want to make sure it's gone through a few paces and that there's enough belief and conviction among investors, both retail and institutional, before you put your hand on that life raft, because you never know. They, they just came out with a, a, a short ARC ETF the other day. EYL ETF. I'm so down with that. Um, but but can I just come back to one thing you asked Troy you said six months on an IPO one thing to note about IPOs a lot of them traditional ones is that they do have lockup periods for six months which means that any executives or employees that were granted stock before the company went public typically have to wait six months in a lockup period before they can exercise their shares why because the company doesn't want them to pump and dump uh, as soon as they get their share grant and leave the company, sell their shares and take off. So that six month period is a little bit dicey because you could sometimes see a stock fall off all of a sudden. You'd be like, what What just happened there? The six month expiration popped. A bunch of executives who had a couple of million dollars in stock wanted to cash out so they could rent that house in the vineyard for the summer. Which might give you an opportunity to get in, right? You could look at it like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pearson, thank you for being so patient. You've been unmuted. What's going on? Hey, everybody. Uh, can y'all hear me? Yes, how are you? Perfect. All right. I got a question, and it might turn into a discussion, but um, here it goes. I've noticed that three out of four global recessions have oil as one of its factors, and we know that the American dollar has ties to oil, a.k.a. the petrodollar. From your experience, what are those indicators associated with oil prices that are based on the American real exchange rate that I should be considering? And I know there are many factors that go along to it, but what are some areas I should be looking in towards? I love that you asked this question. Caleb, you want to take this? But Pearson, I, man, every week, please ask a question. Can you repeat it one more time? All right. I, I know oil, three out of four recessions, yeah, petrodollar. So, all right, so I'm, I'm going to do it. So I've noticed that three out of four global recessions have oil as one of its factors, and we know that the American dollar has ties to oil, a.k.a. the petrodollar. From your experience, what are those indicators associated with oil prices that are based on the American real exchange rate that I should be considering? And I understand that there are many factors that go into it, but I want to know what places I should be looking to because I announce it as a, a thunderstorm. You see the lightning before you hear the thunder. So that's where I'm, that's where I'm looking at. What are those anticipatory factors I should be looking into? You see the light. You see the lightning before you hear the thunder. I like that. I like that. It's a great question, Caleb. You want to start? Uh, I do, but I feel like I need a a, a, a a Red Bull or something to get this. Well, that's a great question, <laughs> Pearson. I want you to come on, come on my IGTV lives with some smart questions like that. You are an investopediac if I've ever heard one. Um, so, great question. You're right, uh, but I also think that um, if you think about the last, no, the last one. The last one was COVID related. We can't, that's black swan event out of nowhere, but you did see what happened to oil there. The one prior to that was 2008, 2009. That was a mortgage crisis, liquidity crisis. So not exactly so tied to, to the, the, petro, uh, the petrodollar as you might think. You gotta look though, if you're looking for indicators, 
at a couple of key things. Obviously, futures prices, right? The futures tell you everything. There's something about the options market, the commodities market, because it's so futures oriented that we kind of know where pricing is soft going out a few months. You could look at, you know, right now, you could be looking at the next month's contract. You could be looking at six months from now. And if you look at the CME's website, it's a good place to start, or CBOE, you can look at those future con uh, contracts and see where pricing is. Um, that's a great place where to start because options traders, they're the ones that are out there with the weather vanes to use your weather analogy going, where is this thing going to be in a few months from now? And they're the ones who will tell you first. So when you see volatility in the oil market and you see those future prices shifting a lot, that tells you there's a storm brewing. How big it will be, we don't know, but that's some, the first thing you got to watch. And then if you really want to get you know, down into it, you could be looking at oil rig counts, right? Oil rig active counts out in the Gulf of Mexico, the Baker Hughes oil rig count they do every week, who's producing, who's not producing. You could also look at the supply, the oil inventory supplies through the EIA, Energy Information Agency, EIA.gov. They put out a report every week. If you really want to go deep That's on that, one. you can. But for most of us, we're not going to do that, right? We're going to get, we're going to feel those the winds blowing from the options market because it's going to tell you where futures are priced. And it's so sensitive to where future demand is because remember, oil is a super long-term commodity. Airlines order it sometimes up to a year in advance and pay the price you know, for, for today, for what it might cost in a year, they hedge that price. Uh, so there's such long-term demand that you kind of going to know what's going to happen before it hits you. I doubt we're going to have an oil shock out of the blue recession like we had in the 70s. We're a different type of global economy right now. And we have all different kinds of ways of powering all the things that we need, you know, besides oil to get through that type of a crisis. But the futures market's the first place to start. I hope that helped. Yeah, I would agree a thousand percent just to piggyback off of what Caleb says. If you guys like the um, the ticker CL, the futures market, I've always told you, um, just recently this month, I think we got back to the 50% high from 2008. So at 147.27 was a high. We just got back to 77.09. Um, that's the easiest way to be able to tell. I mean, but we've been in a dramatic downtrend ever since then, but any uptick you'll be able to see. And if once we get overpriced, if we ever get to back to a hundred dollars and definitely hit like a hundred dollars, 111, like 60, 111, 64, we'll see a tailspin back to the downside as well. So, um, and that's why I always tell you guys, like learning the futures market, even if you don't trade it, as Caleb said, it will tell you an indication of where the market was going to go. Cause when we first started doing market Mondays, I'm like, Hey, if, if, the Dow cracks through the 50% retracement of the 10 year, it's going to be game over if they don't do something. Um, so to be able to predict the prices, the futures kind of give you a glimpse, a foreshadowing of what's going to happen. And then the usual, the market usually follows. That's why if you turn on CNBC or any stock show, um, the futures market comes up first and, and that'll give you all the insight that you absolutely need. But great question, Pearson, I want to give you a scholarship tonight. Um, because your questions are absolutely amazing. So, send an email. Pearson, appreciate you, my guy. Appreciate uh, you. Yeah, let's get his email, Janet. Uh, and yeah, I guess the name is is all in the name, the futures, right? Yeah. They call it that for a reason. Yeah. Uh, telling you the future. So, uh, yeah, it's a high level conversation, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They very, said, very yeah. high level conversation. They said Caleb was, is delivering. That was black belt. Class. That was a tough question. And a small yeah, that, was, that was a black belt question. Definitely a black belt question. Yeah. Man. Junior, what's going on? You've been unmuted. Unmute yourself. 
Hey, good night, good night, fellas. What's okay, going on? How are you? Yeah, we yeah. hear you perfect. Hey. Yeah. Happy birthday to you, Ian, again. You and my daughter have the same birthday. Oh, much love to her. Drop your uh, cash up so I can send her a birthday gift. There you have All right, it. no problem. <laughs> my question is for, um, for, for Shadi. Um, so I was working at, the, I want to know, like, uh, I was working at a job. I had a 401k with them, but I left. And that, you know, that money's still tied up in that 401k there. I want to move it, but I want to know my best option to move it um, without, like, the, to avoid paying the taxes on it. Yeah, definitely you want to move it into... Like, other accounts can I move it to? Yeah, very... I'm sure um, on on the site, Caleb, a lot of people ask this question about rollovers, so I would love to get your opinion on it as well. But rollovers, when I was... Uh, heavy in my financial planning practice made up about 70% of my financial planning practice, helping people roll over old 401ks or retirement accounts is very common. And most people, um, the majority of their investments are in retirement accounts. Like the average person doesn't have a hundred thousand dollars in a brokerage account or, you know, 300,000 just in their Robinhood account. Some do, but most people don't, but a lot of people have 50,000, 75,000, 100, 200,000 in their 401k. So being that it's the majority of a lot of people's um, assets, it's, it's important to make smart decisions. So um, you can definitely roll it over into an IRA, but outside of that, I'll say why it's a good idea to roll it over from a 401k into an IRA when the money's out of old 401k is pretty much frozen in a cent. Not, not frozen where it's not growing, but frozen where you can't borrow from it. You can't add to it. Um, you're stuck, whatever, you know, choices that the old company provides for you. So like if you have fidelity, they might give you a menu of like 20 different options that you get to pick and choose from. And you don't really even get customer service help. Like if you call customer service, they can like tell you, you can tell them what to do. But if you ask them for advice, like legally, they're not going to give you advice over the phone. So you pretty much just like fending for yourself and then you might move. Um, and then you don't update your address. So it's very problematic to leave an old 401k at your old job. Um, that's just my opinion. So being that you can roll it over into an IRA um, without, you know, paying any taxes, any penalties, um, you definitely want to explore the IRA rollover. Now, there's different ways that you can roll it into an IRA. You can work with an advisor and have them help you with it, or you can do it yourself. Any brokerage account, um, like Fidelity, TD, any of those type of brokerage accounts, you can open a traditional IRA. Um, and then the process is you would call the 401k company. First, you open up the IRA, you get a, um, an account number. So then you call the 401k company and you say, I want to roll over this 401k into my IRA. A lot of the companies, especially like Fidelity, they let you do it over the phone and they, they send you a check and then you just forward the check to the uh, IRA custodian. Um, sometimes you have to fill out paperwork and then they transfer it for you. But either way, you communicate with the 401k company and tell them that you want to roll it over. So you don't necessarily have to know exactly what you want to invest in and roll it over because you can, it can be held in a money market account, which is like, you know, sitting on the sidelines. And then when you, when you decide how you want to invest, then you can invest the money. Um, target date funds is always a good option. 
uh, similar to how they have a 401ks. A lot of brokerage accounts allow you to invest in target date funds like 2020, 2030, 2040, 2050. The idea with retirement is that you want to be aggressive when you're young and conservative as you get older. So the target date fund automatically becomes more conservative as you get closer to that target date. The target date is the date that you plan on retiring. Um, of course, you can take, you know, the strategies that we've talked about on Market Mondays where you can invest in index funds, you can invest in ETFs, you can invest in individual stocks. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend being too overly aggressive with the retirement account. Yeah, um, like you don't want to like do a bunch of penny stocks and, you know, things of that nature. Um, but you know, if the, I would recommend if, if you're not going to do the target date funds, maybe have maybe four to five, um, investments that you want to invest in, I would say the majority should be index or ETF because that gives you broad range exposure. Like one ETF, you can have 20 different, 30 different stocks in it. And then of course, we you know, with the index, you invest in the S&P 500, you have 500 stocks in it. And then maybe if you want to have like one or two um, anchor companies like a Microsoft or an Apple, Apple um, yeah. that you feel comfortable with. So yeah, that's my that's my take on it. Yeah, that, that's called Rashad Opedia right there. Um, we <laughs> should be putting that up on yeah, the seat. <laughs> yeah, he, he was like ISO, ISO. Go ahead. <laughs> he called the ISO, ISO right? ISO, 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 ISO. Good job. I cleared it out. He said, I'll start moving over. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a, I'm a facilitator. My, my 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 role at Market Mondays is a facilitator. You know, we got we got a great talent and Ian, he's like the Kobe Bryant. And then when we get to bring on guests. Um, you know, it's like an all-star. So me and Troy just more facilitate. We just we pick our shots here and there. <laughs> spot shooters. We're just spot shooters. Uh, but, you know, every once in a while we get to, you know. Clear it out. Have some Ray Allen and Steph. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. He just came in and shot four three-pointers, grabbed five rebounds. <laughs> yeah, real quick. Real quick. Real quick. Yeah, yeah. Going, going, going back it. on the bench now. Showed up in the fourth quarter, dropped thirty five real quick. Joe's uh, impressive. <laughs> Jeremy Lin. But Rashad, uh, well, oh, you mentioned about the check that you actually get a physical check mailed to you, so people got to pay attention to that if they're going to do that. You get a check like you haven't seen before. If you have a lot of money in there, all of a sudden you're like, oh boy, this yeah. is my retirement yeah. on a piece of paper. You got to be really careful with that. Take it over to your new custodian or your new broker, wherever you're setting that up get that in there as fast as possible. That shocked me when I got mine the first time I rolled over. I was like, whoa, 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 you know, here's 10 years of work. Yeah, and a lot of times they send it in regular mail too. So yeah. you yes. might have a check yes. for, I've seen I've seen checks for a million dollars, $800,000 and people get nervous. Like, they're like, I just got a check for $800,000. What do I do? I'm like, well, forward it to me and I'll, 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 send it. I'll make sure, I'll make sure it gets in the right hand. First thing. But first. Uh, but yeah, now that's definitely, that's definitely important because a lot of times people, and check your mail. That's true yeah. too. Check your mail too. Yeah, we, you, a lot of times you'd be surprised. A lot of people don't, don't check, including me. I, I'm I'm terrible with that. But people don't check their mail for weeks at a time. You go on vacation and then it's like, oh wow, what happened? This guy sent 90 days ago and I never did anything. And with it expires in 36 hours. Very important. Yeah. Uh, Onessa, we coming to you. Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. Oh my God! Can you hear me? Yes. 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 We can. So excited. Hey guys. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Okay. So <clears throat> here's my question. Um, you guys talk a lot about um the two index uh and two, two uh, tech, right? Got that. 
Um, I'm doing, I've been investing in it monthly. Um, but I really do want to do um, dividend stocks to like, you know, diversify my portfolio or whatever. So I was trying to figure out what's the best dividend stocks I should get into um, to diversify my portfolio next. If you go look at the episode from two weeks ago, I literally put out a list of ones that are upward moving. The thing I want you to be very mindful of, especially when I have a list of it. I, I remember when you when you did that, you said Starbucks, Lowe's, Costco, Nike, AT and T. I got it. So you're no, no, you're I hate AT and T. No, no, no. I want to be on a record. I hate AT and T. Okay. <laughs> for whatever the dividend pays for the drop that it's had, that is terrifying to me. Now, when my okay. bell was my bell back in the day before Verizon, and there was a whole bunch of <laughs> Yo, remember that? Great, great. But for the last twenty years, I feel like the only thing AT and T is specialized in is paying top dollar for assets at the worst price. So you want your dividend to go up because, in theory, I get it. You get a great yeah. dividend, but when you actually do it, and you're like the stock dropped twenty nine percent, you're not going to be happy with the dividend, especially if yeah. it's dragged. Let's say you have a big position. And it drags the rest of your portfolio down. You're not going to care about the dividend that it paid. There's a difference between like portfolio management on a paper, and like Caleb said, when you're actually doing it and you see the money in there, uh, it, it is a huge difference. So I would pick ones that have progressively been going up over a five, ten, fifteen year period, while giving okay. a dividend, even if it's smaller. Okay. What's your top five? <laughs> I'm biased, but. Um, I know Apple pays a small one, but I like Apple because if I ask, if I told anyone, I put Microsoft on my two texts, so I got yeah. that. I'll make a list here and, and drop them for you at the end. Then. Okay, but, but, but the, the reason why, for logic reasons, like if I told you I had a dividend company that would do, you know, fourteen billion in a quarter, and they would be up ninety three percent you would think that it was a scam. But I think when tech or any quality company is growing over time, the growth of those major tech companies are going to outposition and outpace any traditional dividend. So I know they have like a dividend king's list, but when you ask people that are putting in 200, 300,000, 400,000, or if you're doing equal weighted, and let's say you have 10% of your, your equity in there, it's not fun when those companies drop 20 and 30% out of it. And, and they cut the dividend when things are not going well. That's not fair. So be mindful of that. Please be mindful. Putting a pause on the dividend. Nothing coming out this week. Yo, shout out to that yeah. throwback. Remember Bell Atlantic? That turned into Verizon, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah Which crazy. one was Nymex? Ninex. All right. The other, the oh, New York, it was one of them. It was God, one of the bells. Cool. But the, the baby bells have spawned baby, baby bells. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great <laughs> they question. They had, they, had to, they had to break it up, right? That was the, uh, the Bell Atlantic. Right? That was a um, a, a antitrust lawsuit, something with the government. That's right. Like that. That's right. Yeah. More, a very, very popular term and article on Investopedia. But that was a great question, Onessa. And there's all you mentioned dividend kings. There's also dividend aristocrats. There's yes. dividends of all kinds of flavors and shapes. It really depends on on what you like for your portfolio, what matches your risk tolerance. Uh, but those suggestions are great, and uh, you could literally mix and match the companies you feel comfortable with that fit, that pay safe dividends. But if you're looking for growth over time, tougher to find that with dividend stocks. All right, let's go one more. Thank you. Uh, who was that? Onessa, right? Thank you, Onessa. Let's go to James. James Pleasant, we're coming to you. Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. What's going on? 
Five, four. Damn, fridge break. Sound effects on the way, y'all. I'm sorry. Congratulations. You played yourself. Um, uh, let's go to <laughs> let's go to Odell. Odell Robinson, what's going on? Oh, James is there. James, what's up? Dang, no, can't get his mic just... together. Odell, we we coming to you. Unmute yourself. You've been unmuted. A lot of good questions tonight. Let's try to have a. a oh, really yeah. can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we yeah, got yeah, you, James. What's up? Oh, my bad. I, um, hey, I'm a truck driver. My bad. I put my mic on mute so you guys couldn't hear me. Um, uh, so, oh, all right, no problem. We respect the truck drivers. Uh, Shout out to EYL Demetrius. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, when I get back home, when I get my next check, I'm getting in with uh, Alex. Um, but uh, questions for Ian. Ian, can I get a? Can I get a? I'm trying to average down on AMC. I messed up. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I was looking to get into AMD and I got into AMC. <laughs> Wait, you try to get uh, AMD? No, 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 AMC. no, no, no. Let's not clown. It, it's happened. It we happens. All, it happens it's yeah. all the time. Yeah. Finger trade. Yeah, it, it happens all the time. So, the, what price did you get in on AMC? Uh, I think 50, 59. Not bad. Well, are you a believer in AMC or no? So-so okay. with it. Um, I, I would take the loss and just get into AMD then. Okay. Yeah, I would take the loss. No, because and, and it's tough because anytime that we average down and traders, you know this, anytime you get into a trade and you move your stop, you're like, oh, man, I just want to get out at break even, and then it gets to break even, then you want to take profit. Um, yeah. It's better to just hey, you that, have a small cut. You and, said and, again, and then, I'm in the mountains. Yeah, take the loss on AMC and then just buy AMD instead. Okay. Much better company. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yo, listen, dude, right. appreciate you, James. Thank you. Appreciate it. All my yeah, truck drivers, listen. You that. We've all done that. We've all no, 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 no traded all the time. time. And look, no some of these companies driving, go on these long rides because they're, they're, they get somebody to get Zoom video, Zoom video communications versus Zoom technologies. How many yes. people bought the wrong Zoom two years ago? Plenty of people. I know 30. That happens I know 30 all the time. People. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I brought uh, I uh, sent the wrong. This was years ago. I was trying to send money to Bitcoin, five hundred dollars, and I sent it to Bitcoin Cash. I lost five hundred dollars because I, I I was I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. You got to pay attention. And even uh, this year, uh, I had a um, remember the call to close as opposed to the call to open. Yeah. Uh, I had to research Investopedia. <laughs> I had to find out what the difference between call a yeah, yeah. close, call a open. Yo, Ian, can you imagine that phone call? Yo, what happened? I'm like, yo, bro, what, let, let's let's walk through what you did. Let's let's walk through what you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very important to um pay full attention. Never never trade stocks or buy stocks when you're like halfway paying attention. That's that's something I learned. Like if you're with your kids or if you're driving or if you're in a rush to do something because you want to make sure that you um know what you're doing because once you do it, it's kind of like done at that point. Hashtag no trading and driving. Yes. yes. That the hashtag. This has been a or definitely a, le a legendary episode. Um, Caleb, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, yes. Just a wealth of knowledge. How, how have you been able to receive all of this information? Like, do you just read all day, every day? Like how, how much information do you consume on a daily basis? I, I, I take in a lot. I start early. I start with, you know, a lot of the published trade publications and the journals of the world, the CNBCs, I got that cooking. I got all the biz channels hopping in the morning. I also read a lot of research reports, but 
you know, I'm a dad. I got a couple of teenage. I read research reports from some of the big institutions, but I also read Lex Sokolin uh, from uh, he's a crypto expert. I read a lot from the crypto community, from 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 friends of mine that are in it. I read a fair amount of technical analysis because I'm more of a fundamental uh, guy, but I like to know the dark arts of technical analysis because numbers don't lie and to understand yeah. chart patterns and then mix those with the, the, the fundamental research I do. I think that's sort of a powerful combination. It's like my own yes. little martial art, little judo, little taekwondo, little aikido, a little mm -hmm. kung fu. Uh, so I try to bring all that together. I read some currency stuff. Not that I trade currencies. I just want to know sort of what the the temperature is around the world for the dollar and for other assets like that. And um, I read a fair amount of FinTwit because I got a lot of friends on there who are super smart. And you know, I, I come constantly learning from them. And I've been a journalist for 25 years. So I got a lot of friends who are authors and great journalists who I follow on the daily. I consume plenty of it. But you know, for me, and I know you guys probably feel this way too, when you're doing this type of thing, it doesn't really feel like a job anymore. It just feels like sure, this is the extension of, my of myself. Yeah. And the biggest thing I can do is keep learning so I can keep teaching because that's the greatest gift. Ooh, ooh, there you I have love it. that. There you have I love it. You that. always a little, little Whitney Houston drop on you right there. <laughs> you always greatest gift, back. greatest love. You have a home here, um, and we're excited to to have you guys as part of Invest Fest. Um, I'm excited for for that activation. And uh, anything that you would like to let the people know, anything that you guys have working on, I know you have a podcast, so let them know. We were actually guests on the podcast. Go check it out. Um, so sure. yeah, tell tell the people everything that you know you have going on the podcast, any, any new projects that you guys are working on, stuff like that. Sure. Thank you. Uh, so it's the Investopedia Express podcast. You guys have been guests on the show. You got the hoodies to prove it. Uh, very highly rated episode. Almost broke the internet when I had you two on. Um, so that <laughs> that's every Monday that drops. And that's sort of like to set up the educated investor for the week ahead. Again, I'm not a stock picker because I'm terrible at it, but I do want to help uh, everybody think about how to think about investing, the things that might impact markets, economies, microeconomies. So that's what kind of that's all about. Every Monday, the Investopedia Express with me. Um, but we also have a pretty good following on uh, on social media, on Instagram, where we have a lot of followers, where we're posting some really interesting content, not just the stories we're writing about, but we do a lot of surveys of our readers. And the fact that we have so many readers and daily newsletter readers, we have several daily newsletters, the Express in the morning, Market Sum in the afternoon, the daily during the middle of the day, the term of the day, the most popular one. Um, we have so many people that we can sort of survey their sentiment. So we're constantly putting out surveys and then putting, giving that information back to our users to tell them where sentiment is. So look for those sentiment surveys. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on TikTok, where I'm doing very simple, very plain, very boring, candid little videos, just trying to explain things and not be a joker about it, but just be straight. So follow us on TikTok at Investopedia. And again, we're so delighted to, to, to be you know continuing this partnership and conversations with you guys at EYL. Ian, it's great to meet you. And nice we're you excited well. about InvestFest. Like I said, I'm kicking myself for not coming up with it, but I'm going to do the second best thing. And we're going to come down there and have a ton of fun. And I think this is, like I said, when we first met, this is just the beginning. I hope we have a very long and, and, uh, and, and strong relationship together for you and both of our readers and your viewers. So thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I know you, I know you live uptown. 
Um, are you, you, you're, no. you're, you're a fan of, you're a fan of, of hip hop and rap, right? it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, you see what I put up there for you tonight, Caleb? <laughs> it's criminal mind is up there for you. Criminal oh, mind. Thank you. <laughs> Come on. I, closer. I, I, I got a pin you. I, I got a pin you. I didn't see that close up. Thank you for doing that. Of oh course. I, yeah, I, yeah. I know what you like, man. <laughs> so I'm, this might, I know you you're listening. You're, 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 you're a generation above us. So I don't know if you're a fan of, of these guys, but it's a big day in New York City tomorrow. Uh, Dipset versus the Locks versus Battle. Are you familiar? Are you are you familiar with these guys' music? No, that that I that, that no. may even be a, may even be a generation above that. <laughs> Caleb's a Harlem guy. No, Caleb, I'm, I'm gonna help you out. You're a Harlem guy, and so we're gonna go Dipset. I for love you. the honesty though. Yeah, yeah, just keep it real. I, appreciate I, I appreciate, I appreciate the honesty. I could have played it. I could have played it. Yeah, more like Big Daddy Kane, yeah. EPMD, Big Daddy Kane. You know, I'll school. put yo. So Paid in full is the other album we got up there. So I, I got both of them for you. I appreciate See, that. I, I took care. Oh, of I took care. Oh man, Caleb, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, brother. Yeah, hey, we got Thank some. You. We got some before we go. Oh, you're going to do that now? Yeah. I was going yeah. to let him go and then... Uh... Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, he can be part of the festivities. All right, yeah, right we can do that. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm in it to win it. All right, well, let's have this conversation with Ian. Uh, Caleb, you're disqualified by uh, <laughs> your own person who uh, <laughs> taking yourself out of this situation. Ian, there's a big day in New York City tomorrow. Dipset Don't versus the locks. Uh, who are you going with? My God. Um, I think... Locks of better rappers, but I think Dipset better movement. So I'm a man. I'm a go. I'm a go Dipset. I'm a go Dipset. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll give I'll give my quicker analysis on that. Of course, Jim Jones and Styles P have both been guests on the podcast. They're both EYL alumni. Yep. And uh, Jim Jones is somebody who's actually going to be at Invest Fest, and a really great guy, actually. Somebody that we, he's been Jim on Market Mondays. He's been on Market Mondays also talking about crypto, and uh, he's actually a very, a very enjoyable person. So I'm a little biased in this situation, but oh. <laughs> I would, I would have to say, I would have Ooh. to say that um, it's tough, man. I think, I think that Jada Kiss is one of the greatest rappers of all time. Absolutely. And it's going to be hard to uh, to match his wordplay, but Dipset has stronger anthems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jadakiss, specifically, Styles also have better lyrics. <laughs> so it's bars, it's bars versus anthems. It can go either way. Yeah, it de- I think it depends oh, okay, on... Hold on. Uh, what do we take? Are we taking the word versus? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he's counting that. He's counting that. Because if we talk, I gotta go live. Versus. It depends on the definition of verses. Are we being literal about the verses that they put in now? Because if they, if we are, then only Kim has that capability of having a versus battle. Um, I, I. you know what? We should report live. We, 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 we should report live from the, the event. Yeah. I think we will. Maybe. You I think we will. <laughs> well, I think we will. Before we go, Ian, we're going to take a glass of... Uh, oh, before we go, this is a classic episode. So when we yeah, have classic, classic episodes, 
We have uh, this episode of Market Mondays was brought to you by Ally Financial. Ally is an option. If you're looking to bank or invest, Ally Financial is a leading fi- digital financial service company with passionate customer service and innovative financial solutions. They are relentlessly focused on doing it right and being a trusted financial service provider for both customers and communities. Get with Ally to make the most of your money so you can save, invest, and spend on the things that matter to you. Shout out to the good folks of Ally and everybody that's checking in. Shout out to the tube, everybody that liked the video, everybody that's in the comments right now. Caleb, they saying that you got a classic on your hands. This is like a classic Classic. album. Classic. And so now you have a classic Market Mondays episode. And since we're talking about our rap, since we're talking about our our hip hop mogul friends, Another one of our, our friends is Rick Ross. You don't know, we know. And shout, shout out, out to Rick Ross, shout out to Lex. So they sent us some champagne. So Ian, we will take a glass of champagne. In your honor, sir. In your honor for your, for <laughs> your birthday. Uh, happy birthday once again. After this, it. get back to uh, scuba diving or snorkeling. I'm, I can't swim, but I'm, yeah. Skinny dipping, whatever, whatever you're into. <laughs> Parasailing. <laughs> That that may be good. I deserve this break. I, well, my this every time he pops a bottle, year. he just spills it everywhere on my floor, bro. Like, yeah. You are can, um, I appreciate that. I don't have anything in my cupboard. If you guys can put your email in chat real quick, I'll pick 10 for a scholarship giveaway before we wrap up. We're giving 10 out? 10 scholarships. Yeah. 10 scholarships. Wow. In honor of. Probably think the manager of Scooter Braun, yeah. <laughs> 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 Dan's got a plan. If you're in here, can you can you can you grab some of these names? Let's take five from from uh, Zoom, and we'll take five from YouTube. Jan, if you're oh, in yeah, here, Janet, let me know. Uh, Janet, I'll be sure to email. I mean, text you back too. So, uh, thank you for that. Janet is the best of all time. Like Janet is the Oprah. Best. So thank you. The, the best. <laughs> They're calling her principal, Janet. She's she don't play. Shout out to Janet. And we'll wrap up. Janet. Caleb, what what can we do to help you personally, and do to help Investopedia? Well, we, we are just honored to be here and participating in this. So you guys keep doing what you're doing. Spread financial literacy to the communities that need it most. That's what you're doing. Keep doing that. Start young because, you know, yes. people, we, we get, we, we, you know, we don't learn this information until it's too late. And then some people just give up on it. And we always say the best day to start investing was yesterday. The second best day is today. I know sometimes it's hard to believe that. And sometimes you don't think you have the money or the wherewithal. You always have 10 bucks. You could do that. If you have it, put it aside, get regular about it. So the more you spread that message about education, literacy, teaching people these skills to really grow their wealth and, and, and become part of, you know, building their wealth for their entire life. The education never stops. You've given them the gift, the greatest gift, and we want to be a part of that too. So if you can keep spreading the word and doing what you're doing, that's the, that's, that's what we need because we're going to keep doing it too. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. You're amazing. Huge fan of the site. If you see my IP address, I've probably been on every article. <laughs> we got you. We, you. we got you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, me, guys, guys. For, for watching this. Uh, check out the episode with Usain Bolt tomorrow. Make sure you tell right a friend away. to tell a friend. And uh, we will see you guys soon. Happy Take Independence, care. Jamaica. Happy birthday, Mom. My mom's birthday. She turned 70 on Thursday, y'all. Happy birthday. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to Mama. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to your mom, man. She just had a birthday. Happy Shout birthday out to, to my mom as well. Mama Bilal, too. Incredible. Yes. Yo, we love y'all. Reach out. Love y'all, somebody. Love is love. Peace. Happy birthday to my niece also. Oh, it was Blessings' birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Blessings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Peace. Caleb, it's been real. See, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace, y'all. Thanks, guys. Right, Appreciate it. Peace. Talk to you soon. Later. <laughs>
take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience by listening to the Capital Ideas podcast today.